it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever your favourite podcasting app is. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Winnigal and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Morning, Kay. Good morning. Good morning. How are we all? Very well. Excellent. Terrific. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Stephen Bygrave. He doesn't really need any introduction as he heads up the BZE team and has been on radio quite a few times with us. He's worked on climate change for 20 years across renewable energy, energy efficiency, transport, agriculture and forestry. He also worked on the mandatory renewable energy target in the late 1990s and also international climate change issues at the OECD between 2002 and 2004. And most recently, he's worked as a senior executive setting up the Clean Energy Regulator, which is no mean feat in itself, I don't think. His PhD, which was funded by Greenpeace in the mid-1990s, was on village-scale renewable energy projects in the Pacific Islands. Today, we're going to be discussing with him multiple BZE reports, including the latest Zero Carbon Land Use Report. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning. Great to be here. Yeah, terrific. And um, thanks for making the time. Now, Steve, before we jump into land use, I wanted to have a quick chat about the Renewable Energy Superpower report that was launched last year. Can we jump straight into what some of the baseline targets that are suggested in the report? Yeah, look, the Superpower report just been uh, amazing in terms of its traction on the ground. We've had launches in Melbourne, Sydney, where, where Mark Butler gave the keynote presentation from the ALP and now uh, Labor has included, you know, renewable energy superpower as front and centre in their kind of Labor climate action plan, which mm. was launched a couple of weeks ago, and big win for BZE. And the Brisbane launch was great too. We had Larissa Waters from the Green provide a presentation, but also Stephen Miles, who's the Queensland Minister for Environment and Climate Change, he gave the keynote. And, and again, you know, having Stephen in the room, he was saying now that their Queensland's going to look at how they're going to use the ACT reverse auction model to push for higher renewable energy targets in, in Queensland, which is mm-hmm. just amazing. You know, you know the ACTs was another launch. We had a launch in Canberra a couple of weeks ago with Simon Corbell, who's the Deputy Chief Minister in the ACT, and he gave a keynote. And, um, you know, it just shows ACT's leading Australia with 100% renewable energy targets now mm. legislated yeah. by 2020, which is incredible. Just, um, on those launches, Kay and I had the uh, pleasure of staying with Jennifer Bates, the uh, BZD coordinator in Newcastle over the weekend, and she's actively planning for the Newcastle launch so in June, so a plug for that. Yeah, great. Yeah, we've got the 9th of June with uh, Newcastle, so I was, I was actually training volunteers Last night on Skype uh, with New- in Newcastle, as you know, we're now training. We do, we do regular training of volunteers to present our work. Mm. 
training session with Jen and, and her team up in Newcastle last night. And, um, yeah, we're all set for the 9th of June in Newcastle. And also, even before that, we've got a launch happening in Noosa oh, nice. uh, on the 26th of May. And um, we've got the mayor of Noosa um, flying me up, actually, on that day because they want to do – we'll talk a bit about this later – they want to do what we're doing in Byron, so uh, zero emission new stuff. Yeah, next topic, yes. Mm. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting too. So the, the superpower plan is really getting a lot of traction. We've got um, other NGOs, solar citizens, uh, you know, and um, Get Up and others who've, who've referred to the superpower work in their homegrown power plan, and uh, they're actively you know, getting it out there for us and we're actively, you know, getting their reports out there too. So this is really growing. It's really snowballing, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, what, what's what's fantastic about the Superpower Report is that it reframes what is an economic powerhouse. You know, traditionally we tend to think that, um, you know, countries with lots of oil and coal and gas, but we're really turning that on its head, you know. A superpower in a decarbonised world, which is what we're heading for, is is a country with fast, cheap, reliable, renewable energy, and that's exactly what Australia is. We've we've modelled in this report that Australia is ranked third, at least globally, when it comes to renewable energy resource. We've got enough resource renewables, much more than coal, oil, gas, and uranium combined, enough to power the world for ten years. You know, it's really you know, really reframing that renewables are the future, renewables are the basis of an ec- a strong economy, and that's the way the world will be in another you know, couple of decades. The investment in renewables globally is is growing, um, you know, rapidly. Mm-hmm. 380-odd billion US dollars was invested in renewables and energy efficiency in 2013. That's expected to grow to $750 billion a year US by 2020 and then to 2,400 US billion dollars a year by 2035. So this is big money and that's happening very, very quickly and this is an opportunity for Australia. Because Labor's put forward uh, 50% by 2030 renewables. How, how would that stack up for us sort of stepping into this opportunity um, and, you know, getting on this boat of renewables and making sure that we are a superpower? Is it ambitious enough or did the report suggest something um, maybe within a smaller time frame? Look, B2D has always pushed for 100% renewables in 10 years, but... Uh, for the Labor Party to have a 50% renewable energy target by 2030, that, that's a step in the right direction. And the investment to come from a target like that is substantial. So the Climate Institute's modelling uh, a couple of years ago, I think, on what a 20% target would bring in terms of investment into Australia by 2030. And so even a 20% renewable energy target will bring in about $20 billion of investment and create some 30,000 jobs. Mm. So a 50% renewable energy target is going to bring in, you know, $40, $45 billion investment and create, you know, 60,000, 70,000 jobs. So, so, and 100% renewables, you know, we've done some modelling as part of the stationary energy plan about what kind of growth that will bring and what investment um, that will bring. So obviously the higher the target, the more the investment, the more the jobs. And 
um, you know, 50% is a step in the right direction, but, you know, we, we still advocate for a much higher target. And it's actually in, in Australia's interest to have higher targets. Um, the coal industry is static. Um, even under a IEA, in, in energy, International Energy Agency modelling, um, even under a kind of a BAU scenario for the next two decades, Coal, the investment in coal is only going to be about 1% to 2% of the total investment in the energy, global energy sector in the next two decades. So coal is static. Mm-hmm. Um, renewables will grow. The investment in renewables and energy efficiency will be about half of the investment, the total investment in the energy, global energy sector in the next two decades. So that's where the growth is. And... Australia can either be part of that or, or not. But um, if we are part of it, it's going to bring jobs and investment to this country. That's interesting because um, the Liberal Party is scratching around trying to find money for its um, up-and-coming campaign. And you would think with the number of jobs that are going to be created, the amount of overseas investment and local investment, it's a no-brainer really to head in that direction, especially given that Australia is the, the third best producing country, potentially producing country in terms of renewable energy? Yeah, it is a no-brainer. I mean, the Liberal Party stuck. Um, Malcolm Turnbull stuck. And, um, you know, so so we'll see, we'll see what happens in this election. But I think people are seeing that. They're seeing that they're stuck in the old ways mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not uh, showing the innovation and disruption uh, that that Malcolm Turnbull was initially talking about, they're not they're not embracing it. Um, have you actually been getting that sort of feedback? Have you, Steve? Oh, just from my conversations around the traps. Um, there are people in the Liberal Party that I think see the writing on the wall, but there are others who are dragging their feet, and that hmm. essentially slowing the whole thing down. Um, yeah, so so that's unfortunate, and and we need to be encouraging much 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 stronger action from all political parties, but in particular from the Liberals. Steve, we, um, we need to move on to the next one, but um, just before we leave it, I can't help noticing what a tremendous counterpoint and poignant counterpoint this is to the um, activities in Newcastle on the weekend where Australia's end of um, the break-free protests worldwide. Um, something between 1,000 and 2,000 protesters gathered at Newcastle and blocked coal trains and blocked the, the port. Um, we were given the figure, and I haven't cross-checked it, but that um, every hour one of those ships goes out and every one of those ships is the equivalent of 100,000 cars for a year on the road. Um, and we had uh, probably 500 kayakers out on the water for most of that day. Um, yeah. Very very poignant to have the counterpoint to show that we can actually do something different instead of um, just relying on this um, poisonous and polluting um dead resource. That's exactly right. I was actually speaking at a, an event with Liz um, from uh, Guardian, Climate Guardian Angels mm-hmm. uh, the other night with David Spratt at Darabin Climate Action Network uh, fundraiser yes. at uh, Carol Ride's place. Um, and um, it was great to, you know, she, she was speaking because she was there and uh, mm. she was speaking about what the Climate Guardian Angels were doing and how effective they are as a group um, and then, uh, you know, David spoke about the science and then I spoke about, you know, solutions. And it was, it was just a really great night because, you know, 
what's happening in Newcastle and, and what the activists are doing there and then what, what the science is telling us and then what we can actually get up and do. It's all, it's all a wonderful story and, and highly complimentary. Um, so keep up the good work, everyone. <laughs> Bit of civil unrest <laughs> or disobedience. <laughs> um, all right, let's zoom in um, now on some communities that are doing great work and, and aiming for zero carbon, um, in particular southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. Can you tell us a bit about the project that's going on with Byronshire and BZE at the moment, Steve? Yeah, that, no, that's a that's great, great opportunity to talk about that. Um, yeah, we launched zero carbon communities because increasingly people on the ground and communities frustrated with the lack of national action and they want to get on and, and do stuff. And um, there are a number of people up in Byron who said, come up to Byron, meet the mayor, um, talk about what we can do. And, and I did that, got the train up overnight, you know, did the choo-choo, <laughs> got in there and met with the mayor. And at the end of that, I said, oh, I think the meeting's gone pretty well. Um, what do you think about Byron being Australia's first? zero emissions community and, and the mayor said let me sleep on it and he, and he came back the next day and said yep let's do it and so this is really about empowering people and communities we're adapting these of these research on energy on transport on buildings on land use and waste and it's being driven by the community with these of these support so we've got volunteers about 50 volunteers in byron they've We've created working groups on those five sectors, energy building, transport, land use and waste. And the moment we're developing a baseline for what is the current emissions on each of those five sectors, um, so we know our starting point. And then we're developing action plans over a 10-year period on what we can do in energy, whether it's rolling out rooftop solar, community energy projects, uh, waste, you know, reducing organics um, from landfill, capturing that that uh, those emissions flaring or, or generating renewables, you know, revegetating landscape, local food production in terms of land use, in terms of buildings, rolling out an energy freedom kind of campaign and program with energy efficiency. And uh, in transport, you know, um, moving to electric vehicles and, and better public transport. So th- these are just some examples of what we're doing. And this now is getting a lot of traction. And so we've got now the mayor of Newcastle, uh, Noosa, Noosa, sorry, who... Um, wants to do something similar, so I'm going up there in a couple of weeks. We've got Lismore doing great things. We've also got a grant application in with the, with the Victorian government to work with Borbor um, community, Latrobe community, Mitchellshire, um, Nillenbuck and Daniel, um, five communities in Victoria, to roll out a 100% renewable energy community program, you know, strategies on how those communities can transition to 100% renewable. So this mm-hmm. is pretty pretty exciting now. It, it's a bit different to what Beasley's done before in terms of, you know, we're a think tank. We've been recognised as one of the top 10 global think tanks to watch this year, but it's really about bringing credibility to the research, but also empowering people to uh, implement the research on the ground. So it's consistent with our think tank role. We're not going to do this in every community. The, the aim is to... Pr- Sort of yes, prototypes and, and demonstrations. Prototypes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Develop yeah. a model, a blueprint that any community can then pick up. And Latrobe and, community and would provide an interesting model, I imagine, because they have um, plenty of coal um, stations that way. 
that right? Yeah, yeah. Latrobe will be challenging, but 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 pretty exciting. We've all, already got a couple of Beasley volunteers actually looking at potential for pump storage hydro in the mountains. Mm. Uh, behind, I know Michael, you're aware of that. Um, yes. And uh, you know, Robin Friday and David Rothfield are already doing some work on on what what we can do there. So there, there's an opportunity actually to to look at pump storage hydro. Um, you know, this is the way of the future. You know, come hell or high water, we won't be burning coal and gas in, in 20, 30 years time. So we need we need to assist and and have just transition transitions in communities. Yes, and yes. and I think you know the day will come where everyone in La Trobe and everyone in Newcastle and everyone in the Hunter realise that the age of coal is over. The sooner the better, and and by having these plans, will enable those communities to have another way, you know, have yeah. a, have an alternative which actually brings more jobs to those communities, more local jobs, and more sustainable jobs. Steve, just one more brief one on the communities. Uh, a couple of um, months ago, we had Mark Watts from the C40s, uh, a city's uh, carbon neutral program. Is this like the community's version of that, and are there um, what sort of links are there between those two programs? Just briefly. Yeah, I've met I've met with the C40 guys, and and also the Eakley, um people who are doing great work. And there's another organisation called World Future Council based in um, Hamburg, and they're also doing work. So there's a lot of work happening actually, and um, it's all it's all complementary. I think this work on providing a blueprint across all sectors in the economy is unique. You know, mm-hmm. these are these unique internationally for having done our national plan. And I think we're again pushing the boundaries on on being unique in having these community level plans. No no other groups are aware of this. So we're, we're very much connected into the C40 initially as well as the World Future Council. In fact, I was just emailing people in Hamburg this morning about, about um, us joining an international network so we can provide these blueprints into into an international network on 100% renewable energy, but also zero carbon transition. So it's really very, very exciting stuff. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, the science and technology version, and we're speaking with Dr Stephen Bygrave, who's the CEO of BZE, and we're having just a ranging discussion across some of the uh, more recent BZE reports. Steve, if we could move on now to one that people haven't had uh, the chance to see yet, your upcoming EV electric vehicle report. What can you tell us about that, the release, um, and what it covers? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're literally putting the final touches on this one, um, and it's, a, it's another very exciting report because, as you, as you probably know, we broke up the transport plan, the Zero Carbon Australia transport plan, into a number of components because each one of them deserves a report on its own. So high-speed rail was the first first report, and, and that's received a lot of traction and, you know, we've got the Labor Party through Albanese again, you know, referring to that report and the Australasian Railway Association referring to that report. So it's really an ongoing interest in The Guardian and News.com, you know, we're, we're regularly featured in, in the media on, on the report. So that's great. The EV report, again, pushes the boundary, shows that we can transition our entire passenger vehicle fleet to EVs in a 10-year period, which will either cost Slightly more, or could, or, or could be cost neutral, depending on the assumptions you make about um, battery costs and the trends in, in battery uh, costs coming down, as well as the cost of EVs, as well as the, we've made assumptions about the the price of oil. So, depending on on the on the scenarios, it could actually be cost neutral. But we're we're seeing analysis come out now showing that the the price of batteries is 
expected to drop between forty and six, sorry, twenty and sixty percent by twenty twenty. So this is already, you know, the battery price, you know, the battery revolution is rapidly following the PV revolution. Mm, sounds very really impressive, doesn't it? If you can do that in ten years and probably less. It, is that counting yeah. the embodied energy cost as well when you talk about cost neutral on those things, Steve? No, no, no. It's just it's just the um, you know the, the the cost of the EVs themselves, the batteries, and the infrastructure. Because as you know, we need charging infrastructure, public yep. public charging infrastructure. Um, so it, it's looking at it's looking at those aspects. We're not looking at embodied energy. That that's kind of a can of worms, and I. Um, and and it, it, we haven't done that with any of our other mm. other reports. Um, mm. We tend to use methodologies which are you know in, consistent with the IPCC methodologies and the National Greenhouse Gas Inventories Australia. And I think yeah, so, Tesla yeah. was talking about um, having charging, putting in its own charging stations. Yeah, Tesla's already, already doing done that. At Melbourne to Sydney, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they're already doing that um, mm. up and down the Hume Highway, and they're also installing. Uh, public in, uh, charging infrastructure in, in the capital, um, so that, that's already rolling out quite quickly. Mm. Mm. We do um, want to, sorry, we do want to spend some time, Stephen, on the um, land use report. Yeah, um, let's jump there. But, then. Uh, just uh, when can, when do, will we see the EV report? Yeah, we're planning on July August. Okay. Um, we don't want to put this out when the election campaign's on um, because it's just going to muddy waters, and we've got a lot of focus already on the superpower report. So we're aiming for a July-August launch. We want to get politicians. This is an un- uncontroversial report. It's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. We want to get politicians from all colours at the launches, so we want to plan really well for that. So if anyone's got any ideas, please don't hesitate to contact me. Okay. Uh, getting on to the land use report, uh, the zero-carbon land use report, uh, it's... You state in the report that it's the second largest source of emissions in Australia, but it also presents unique opportunities for reducing the severity of climate change. Can you tell us a little bit more about what was identified as um, the aspects that can reduce that severity? In fact, Steve, if I could just um, add in there, I feel that this is one of the more complicated and least understood of the BZD reports. So as much as you can, if you can clarify the the outcomes of this report and... Um, what it says. Sure. It's also probably the most important report, um, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily, you know, land use is not necessarily recognised that way in, in the climate community or across the broader population. Which is there's probably a, why it is important. It, it is important from a whole range of perspectives, but it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. I mean, land use is the most critical sector if we're going to go beyond zero emissions and draw down emissions from past activities. It's not as sexy as renewables and, and you know, solar panels on rooftops and and high speed rail and electric vehicles. So it doesn't it doesn't get the the attention that it deserves, but it absolutely needs much more attention. It, it it's a contentious space. It's about what we grow, it's about what we eat, it's about what we do in our land. Um, and and it's a vital report that that needs to get more traction. So so that's the first point. The second point is it is a huge source. You know, the land use sector is a huge source of emissions in Australia. If we look at the global warming potential of methane um, and that the global warming potential is continually uh, updated by the IPCC, it's now about 28 or 34, I think, um, but it could be as high as 80, 86 times 
CO2, so it's a very mm-hmm. potent gas. That means that uh, agriculture emissions could be the largest source of emissions in Australia. So if you take into account... So without taking into account land clearing, agriculture emissions are about 18% of Australia's total. When you include land clearing, about 100 million tonnes of CO2 equivalent from land clearing every year, that takes our agriculture emissions to about 30, 33%. When you factor in the global warming potential of methane over a 20-year lifetime, it actually takes our agriculture emissions to 50, 50, you know, 50 plus percent. Almost the same as uh, energy, if not stationary energy, if not higher. So this is a really important sector. And as I mentioned before, it's going to be the only sector that can draw down emissions. So there are the, the report is fantastic. Andrew Longmire and the team did an amazing work with, with Jared Bishop um, uh, identifying ways to reduce emissions. Um, obviously, stopping land clearing and re-clearing is, is uh, the most important two steps. And we've got the Labor Party also looking at this research because they've also announced that they will stop land clearing. So that's fantastic. Another one important point was the um, clearfell logging of native forests. That's right, it's huge. It's about 7 billion tonnes of CO2 could be saved if we stop logging um, in native forest areas in the southeast forest alone. So that's, that's a very powerful figure. But just coming back to land clearing, um, you know, the Labor Party have announced the stop to land clearing uh, and John Howard announced this as Prime Minister 20 years ago and what what's happened, unfortunately, and, and the Wilderness Society have drawn attention to this recently is Campbell Newman, um, you know, reversed the land clearing laws in Queensland and now we've got New South Wales relaxing their land clearing laws in New South Wales. So every, anyone out there who's listening to the show, please um, do your best to talk to politicians about the, 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 the failure of that kind of approach. And it sounds like um, that should be a federal decision now. Well, it's a state decision to stop land clearing, but the federal government can place pressure and seek... Uh, no state agreement for that. So, so it, it is a state decision. At the moment. Like many things, like many things in Australia, uh, states have control over mining and, and, and roads and, and, uh, and, and also land clearing. So, so this is an issue that federal government can place pressure on and, and seek state compliance. So, well, um, but, 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 but state governments need to be um, dealing with this and, and, and we need to be talking to the state government about the failure of such a approach. The Wilderness Wilderness Society put out a report recently showing that all of the trees that are being planted under the Emission Reduction Fund, being funded by the federal government's direct action program, all of those trees will essentially be removed at the rate of land clearing occurring in Australia within a 10-year period. Couldn't agree more. It seems to just negate all the efforts that are happening in planting trees. Um, But unfortunately, we've run out of time, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. Yeah, well, thanks very much and happy to come back on the show uh, to go into more details on on land use and other things. Have a great day. You as well, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Okay, cheers. Bye. Thanks for your time today, Steve. For our listeners, you can find out more information about today's discussion on our website. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change think tank Beyond Zero Emissions. And if you want to listen to our shows or any others, just head to your favourite podcasting site or to the 3CR or BZE website. Did you miss the latest episode of your favourite 3CR show? Visit 3CR's new improved website, 
now, you can listen to the latest episode of almost every 3CR show with one click, including music, arts, community languages, current affairs and more. No need to podcast, no need to download. Visit 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Then go to your favourite programs page to listen. Listen.